How many of y'all in here you never saw Terminator 2? Oh, y'all got to watch that movie. That's a classic. Hey, Westfall, let's, um, let's set that MP3 apart. Okay, got it. All right. So it's, it's awesome to hear that uh, the Emmaus ministry, you guys, your retreat was a powerful time. Uh, really glad to see also the uh, students from SNU. Every week, I just see just God just coming upon y'all more and more. And uh, God's got a mighty plan for SNU, amen? And I prayed for SNU before y'all even knew who I was. Before I was even the pastor of this church, I prayed for SNU to be reached. And God is, God is really uh, remembering all the prayers of his saints. And I believe that God's going to raise up a mighty, mighty movement at SNU as well as he's already doing at Yonsei and as well as other select campuses that the Lord is putting on our hearts. For the last six sermons, I got to preach a series on finances. Finances. So how many of y'all got all six sermons? You guys got all six sermons. All right. Praise the Lord. Y'all ready to be rich. Y'all are going to be wealthy now. <laughs> now, for real, if God sees your heart is ready to steward finances, he's going to pour out finances. You know, he may bring you even through a time of need, a time of difficulty, but that's temporary. If your heart is ready to steward finances with wisdom and faithfulness, oh, God's going to give you finances. The word of God says you will be my people and you will lend and not borrow. You will be the head and not the tail. And so on, in conclusion to my message, uh, my message series on finances, there are going to be certain ministries that are going to be birthed forth at this hour as a result of this teaching. So if you guys remember about two years ago, I did a series on women in ministry. I preached on women in ministry. And then a few months after that, that's when Pastor Benjamin and Pastor Sonny insisted that I appoint Pastor Aaron as the co-lead pastor of the house. Now, at that time, that wasn't on my radar. That wasn't on my schedule. But then I looked back and I realized that God was preparing the way. By having me preach these messages, and then it was all things were in place for us to go ahead and appoint uh, female leaders, female spiritual leaders, pastors into places of authority, into places of ministry that in many churches they are denied. Now, I have I, I, I didn't put women ministry out of personal preference, it is out of an interpretation of the Bible. All right, so my decisions are not based on my whim. They are based on what I think is sound exegesis. So go back, listen to those messages, women in ministry, if you're curious to know what my views are. And those are the views and interpretations of this house. It's good to have women in ministry, amen? Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why there's some people in the body of Christ that so insist that women don't get, like, they have gifts, Holy Spirit's coming on them. Holy Spirit anointed them. They have the ability to lead. 
These days, all of them get an education. Man, I don't know why some people may they insist. That's because they, they insist because of biblical exegesis. And so I understand. I understand where they come from. I don't, I don't hate on them. I don't condemn them. They just have a different interpretation. I just think mine is correct. <laughs> we'll find out when we get to heaven, right? We get to heaven. So, so Lord, who was correct, them or me? Anyway, we'll find out. We'll find out. And anyway, and let, let's say I'm wrong. Let's say I'm wrong. I mean, how much damage was done by letting women minister? I mean, you know, all these people get saved. All these people get discipled. All these women just feel alive. You know, I don't think God's going to yell at me and say, you got it all wrong. All this fruit that all these women from your ministry produced. I don't look at any of that because they got it all wrong. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think even if I'm wrong, it don't look like, very, it don't look like a very bad picture when I get to heaven. Anyway, we're talking about finances. <clears throat> so after my series on finances, and I have no idea why God had me drive home all of these very strong, uh, neglected, teachings on finances right because when you hear on finance whenever you hear a preacher say i'm going to preach on finances what's he going to talk about tithing and offering right tithing offering we need your money god needs your money and all this stuff what did i teach i I, I didn't really mention tithes or offerings right why because i mean one thing it's it's a part of our dna i mean it's part of like even membership and stuff so people who are in good standing as members of the church you know it's just a given but you know, when it comes out to it, God don't need your money. Why? Because it's his money. He's looking at you like, I don't need your money. By the way, that's my money. <laughs> I don't need it, man. I could get money from these drug dealers over here. These knuckleheads that are transporting all these drugs from Mexico over the border. I could take their money and I could, I could mobilize that money, the wealth of the wicked, for kingdom purposes. Man, God, God could do his thing. Anyway, I mean, listen to the message series if you guys missed it. Uh, and this, so there are certain ministries that are going to be birthed out of this teaching. And one of them is, uh, the, I'm going to call it the Financial Restoration Fellowship. FRF. Financial Restoration Fellowship. And so this is directly from my two messages, the rights of the poor, and fellowship, more than donuts. When I talked about the Greek word koinonia, koinonia, I always forget where the accent goes, koinonia. And I talked about how the Greek word koinonia carries with it more than just the idea of spending time together and eating donuts together. It carries with it the idea of material sharing as well as spiritual sharing it talks about partnership and so uh i talked about how the bible says if you fellowship with one another if you want to fellowship with god you got to fellowship with one another but you can't really fellowship with one another when you're not doing it in love if you see your brother says in first john if you see your brother in need and you have that material ability to bless him but you give no regard to his need and just want to talk about the sermon. The Bible says that's not love. The Bible says, let us love not with just words, but in actions and in truth. 
And so I talked about in that message how fellowship is more than just spending time together. There's, we got to be willing to, to put forth our abundance. When we are going through seasons of abundance, we got to be willing to put forth that money to help out those who are in times of need. Okay? And so I'm going to produce this ministry called Financial Restoration Fellowship. And pretty much it's a fund. And the aim of this fund is to pretty much eliminate any form of poverty in our covenant community. So that there is no poverty ever in our covenant community. That's not easy to do. So there's going to be a lot of structure that's laid down. And we're talking about money and people get funny with money. So we need to make sure that the structure is real clear. And so I'm forming that structure. I'm, I submitted it to the core. We're discussing some of these things right now. And I'm just going to touch upon it a little bit so you guys can get an idea what this financial restoration fellowship will be about. And this is not my message, by the way. I'm just going to say it real quick. I'm going to say it real quick and we'll move on. But, um, yeah, so the gist of it is on the first Sunday of each month, each campus pastor is going to take an offering in a separate envelope called the Financial Restoration Fellowship. Every formal member of the church will be encouraged to set aside just like a, a suggested amount. To set aside, let's say, 20,001, 30,001. Or we may do a percentage of your income. We're just set out a suggestion. Because if you're making a lot of money and you just give me 20,001, hey, that's not right. Because remember in the Mosaic economic laws, there were certain portions of the field that God said, you don't even touch it. That belongs to the orphans, the widows, the aliens. That's my way of providing. Don't, you don't touch it. And when you pass through the field and things drop on the ground, you don't go back and get, the, get those things. You leave them behind because they belong to the orphan, the widow, and the alien, right? So I talked about that, how you have, there's limited property rights the Bible teaches that you have to your private property. Everything you have, you don't have unrestricted access and freedom to spend it the way you want. God says you have limited rights to that money. He wants you to see it as your money, as you being, a, of course, a steward of, of that money, but he wants you to see it. He doesn't, he's not against private property, Right? I talked about how God is not communist. And the Bible in the book of Acts is not teaching communism. You got to go back to my message, right? Because I talked about the Greek word, in, the imperfect and the errorist. How the, how the Greek is using the imperfect, not the errorist. Errorist. So that uh, it's not talking about communism, right? Anyway, let me wrap it up real quick. I got to move on to my message. So we'll take this offering. We'll set aside this money. And then for people that are going through a financial crisis or difficulty, they can formally apply for this financial restoration fellowship. They will have to apply. And once they apply, the core leaders will look at the situation, interview the person, and then determine whether they they are good candidates to receive this fellowship. Now, one thing I want to make clear is this fellowship, this fellowship, this fund, is not going to be a charity, like a traditional charity handout. Okay? It's going to be more along with the principles I taught last week on toxic compassion and charity. It's going to really be about empowering and building up the dignity of the receiver. Right? And so we're not going to be like, one Sunday we'll be like, oh yeah, we took some offerings two weeks ago, and Isaac Kim has applied to receive the fund. He even going through some difficult times. Isaac, where'd you get them shoes from? You get some new shoes from. I thought you were you're having trouble with your money. Anyway, Isaac 
He's going to get today. He's going to get 500,000 won because he's going through some hard times, all right? If you don't want to add to that, you let me know, all right? And, and, you know, and just like destroy his dignity like that in front of everybody. Okay, that's not going to be the goal. We're going to uphold a certain level of confidentiality. Only the pastors and core will be given access to who applied as we will be deciding who gets it. And once you get the money, as of now, what I've proposed is what, when you get the money, you got to pay it back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you're not sure, so sure if you're going to apply, right? <laughs> no, you need to pay it back. So this is the way, I, this is the way I'm going to do it. Half the money, you have to formally pay it back. So there will be a promissory note. You remember your student loans? You signed that promissory note. I promise to pay it back, right? Whatever hundreds of thousands of dollars y'all are graduating with these days, you know, it's a lot of money, right? We're going to have a promissory note. You're going to have to sign that and say, I promise to pay back 50% of the funds I receive. Formally, I, I'm going to be on track to pay it back in a timely manner. The other 50%, informally, we will, you will be encouraged and exhorted to pay it back informally. We won't keep track of it, but you need to pay it back to replenish the fund. Why? Because once you hit your season of abundance, you come out of your crisis and you hit your season of abundance, that's not time for you to forget. And then begin to neglect those who are going through a crisis. Well, I, I, I've been through that already. Good luck. Now, when you hit your season of abundance, you're back on your feet. The Bible always teaches it's time for you now to bless others. You are blessed to be a blessing. And so that's what's going to happen. When you get on your feet, you will be required to formally pay back half and informally replenish that fund with the other half. Pretty much you're paying back everything that you receive. Everybody with me? Hey, I'm not playing around here. This ain't going to be no charity handout. All right? You look at the American welfare system, and it ain't working. Sorry to say. It ain't, it ain't Obama's fault. And by the way, man, there's this great documentary on Frontline right now. You can watch it for free. It's a, it, it shows the childhood of Obama and Mitt Romney. Yeah, real interesting. Man, Mitt Romney, I'm telling you right now, man, he, his, one of his ancestors are some of the key leaders of the Mormon church. Yeah, I don't want to touch that right there. Right? I'm saying Romney, look, he's a good candidate. He's a good politician. But I'm sorry. We are not Mormons. We don't have no fellowship with Mormons, by the way. Man, I should do a series on cults and false religions, right? Because too many Americans put their arms around Mormons and say, oh, yeah, Church of Jesus Christ, right? Well, remember, it says Latter-day Saints. You got to read what those Latter-day Saints taught. They didn't teach the Bible. They teach them about planets and stuff. Like, you know that in, in Mormonism, you get married to your wife. You are, you are married for eternity. That's what they teach. Because you get entrusted with, like, planets, and you're supposed to populate the planets by having lots of uh, babies and stuff. This is crazy stuff, right? You are married for eternity. What does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches you are married for a lifetime, and it is broken by death. So when we get to heaven, Aaron and I, you know, we're not going to be married. <laughs> now, I'm playing, I'm playing. For some people, some people, man, some people, they're like, oh, honey, I thought we would marry forever. For other people, they're like, oh, hallelujah. (laughs) 
I'm serious, right? Because marriage ain't easy. All the married couples said, hey, marriage ain't, ain't easy. If you think it's easy, man, I'll tell you something right now. Marriage ain't easy. The Bible teaches. That's why, that's why Elizabeth Elliot, when Jim Elliot got martyred, she got remarried. And then when her next husband died, she got remarried again. And then she, like, the next husband died as well. And she got remarried a fourth time. I don't know. She got, like, remarried a whole lot. She's not being unfaithful. It's broken by death. So if you technically, you don't, you know, if you divorce, that's sin. So if you really want to come out of your marriage, you just got to kill your spouse. That way, that way you don't commit divorce, but then you commit murder. So... You don't want to do that either, right? That's the only way to be released from a marriage covenant. I'm just saying. Billy Graham said the same thing. Billy Graham said the same thing. <clears throat> Billy, they, 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 inter- they interviewed Billy Graham one time. And they, he was like, how did, you, how did you through all of these years stay so faithful and not get involved with any sexual scandals? You've been so faithful to your wife. I heard that whenever you stay at a hotel, you make sure that, you know, there's a male assistant with you or you never uh, allow yourself to be in a room alone with the female. I, I, is that your secret? What was, you know, how, how did you do this, Billy Graham? Did you never want, ever once think about divorcing your wife? And Billy Graham said this. He said, now, I never thought of divorcing my wife. Never. That never, that never crossed my mind. But I did think about killing her. <laughs> he said something like that. You go, go, go look it up. Go look it up. Billy Graham said something like that. He said, he said it. You need to deal with it. Oh, his wife said that. Oh, okay, my bad. No. His wife said that. Don't say that about me, honey. <laughs> something like that. Anyway. I wasn't planning on sharing that story, so I didn't have all the facts accurate. My bad. <clears throat> all right. Today, uh, I'm going to... This is a family, all right? This is a family. I'm not speaking at no conference. One thing you will notice about Pastor Christian is Pastor Christian is not all neat and professional and and always all organized and says all the politically correct things. That's not me. You know, I went and visited Hillsong, New York City, Hillsong, Sydney. I visited uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle. I visited a lot of churches, right? Every church I go, man, I get so amazed. I look up at the stage and I go, man, them pastors, they are so professional. They're just like John Newfield. They're so professional. <laughs> they always, they're always nice. Even when they're like, they're confronted, they always re- respond graciously. Man, I really admire that. I'm like, Lord, I'm one day, Lord, one day. That's going to be me. I'm going to be a lot more nice. Maybe when I have children, I learn to be more nicer and gentle. And, the, and the, you know what the Lord whispered to me? He said, son, I didn't make you like that. And I was like, yeah, that's what I'm saying, Lord. That's what I'm saying. And you know what the Lord, you know what the Lord showed me? He said, he said, look at your church. Look at your church. You don't got everything put together and they love you. They love you. You know why they love you? It's because they can relate to you. 
You just, sometimes you just all over the place. That's the way they are. They, they don't feel connection with those people that got everything put together all the time. Not, although we do connect with John too. You know, <laughs> but I'm just saying. I don't come neatly packaged. And I just realized, you know, I will mature. I will get more professional. But, you know, I don't have to, like, all stress out about it. I just need to be myself. So I'm just being myself. And so this is a family. I'm not at a conference. It's a family. I can just be myself. This is the most freedom to be myself is right here in the family here with New Philly, right? So just let me be is what I'm saying. Let me be. So today I'm going to talk about, I'm not going to go into a real, a real big meaty message. I'm going to talk about a practical application of something we've been talking about for years. And that's called sonship. All right. And so today I want to unpack a, what does a practical application of the teachings on sonship look like for this particular house. So I'm going to talk about what sonship with New Philly looks like. Okay. So this message is not a biblical exegesis message on sonship. I've already preached that. So if you want to learn about that, go back to my podcast. Go back to our podcast and listen to some of those messages on sonship. They're all there. All right. So I'm not going to go into that today. Today I'm going to unpack the practical application of what it looks like for sonship to be applied to New Philly. I'm going to start with five points, and you're going to need to follow the progression of these five points for this to make sense. Number one, first of all, your sonship is with God. It's directly to God. The Old Testament had a tradition for valuing the term servant of the Lord, servant of God. And we also ought to embrace that term. But in the New Testament, a new revelation, a a deeper revelation is revealed Where the Bible talks about how we are not just servants of God, but we are sons of God. Galatians 3.26, it says, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. That's male and female. You are all sons of God. So some people want to be politically correct. They always come to New Philly and they say, why do you call all the women of the church sons? It's because the Bible does. So leave me alone. You want to go read the TNIV? Go be my guest. But they're not translating it accurately. It ain't children. It's sons. It's not sons and daughters. It's son. It's the Greek word huion. Huios, which means sons. And so, first of all, the Bible tells you you are sons of God. So our sonship to God is direct. And what Jesus did effectively when he came to the earth 2,000 years ago, you see, it takes a son... It takes a son to show us what it means to be a son. So that's why God sent Jesus, his only son. This is why the revelation of sonship was held up until Jesus arrived. And so then it was revealed. So Jesus is one of his first teachings. His teachings are filled with the word father. Why? Because Jesus is trying to teach us that God is our father. And since God is your father, that makes you... His children, but not only children, but you are sons. 
sonship carries the idea of inheritance rights. You see, children are children. They just run around and play. And there's an aspect of that that we need to unpack and value. God loves a childlike heart. God loves it when we just dance and sing before him like little children. Jesus said, do not deny these children. Don't hold them back. Kingdom belongs to such as these. We got to learn how to have a childlike heart before God. We can unpack that too. But don't end there. It talks about when a child grows up, you become a mature son. And a mature son has inheritance rights. He not only grows up, but he grows up and he adopts his father's business. He's entrusted with the authority of his father. He, he's able to now sign documents on behalf of his father. A mature son has inheritance rights and he becomes a partner with his father in the father's business. So that's kind of the idea that God is giving us with this concept of sonship. And I believe this New Testament revelation about us being sons of God, it's always been in the church. But to be fair, I think it hasn't been properly unpacked until our generation. Right here, I believe this I look for books on sonship. There's not many books on sonship. Why? Because it's always been there, but people just kind of touched it, but they didn't go deeper than that. Why? Because they wanted to focus on how we are servants, bond servants of Christ. And that's good too. We can unpack that too. But once again, all of these metaphors, they don't tell you about your root identity. Your central identity is not servant, not a butler of God. You're not a housekeeper of God. That's your function. But your central identity for all of eternity will be sonship. Even Jesus, who is called in Isaiah, everlasting father. The Bible identifies him in Hebrews. He had charge over the father's house. He had charge over all of God's house as a son. And the Bible says we are also all sons of God. So number one, your sonship with God is direct to him, right? Your sonship is, first of all, with God. Second, a son of God belongs to his family. Amen? Now, who is this family? Where do you find the family of God? Now, in one sense, you can find them anywhere. Wherever you meet a Christian, there's the family, right? But it's not very meaningful when you just meet Christians on the airport, Christians on the street, and you just say, hi, oh, you're a Christian? I'm a Christian. Okay, let's pray together. Oh, hallelujah. I was so blessed. Okay, goodbye. (laughs) They don't really get that deep, right? Where do you get deep? You get deep in a local church. And the Bible calls the local church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the Bible calls the local church the body of Christ. Make no mistake about it. The word church in the New Testament is mostly used. To refer to the local church. In the book of Revelation, what is Jesus saying? To the churches in Laodicea. Or to the church in Laodicea. Is it oh, it's singular, right? To the church in Philadelphia. To the, he, he, he's my Bible answer man right here. I always look at him. I always look at John's eyes. Or sometimes Myung-Hwa too. They're both, they're both pretty good. With, with memory. Um, <laughs> So what I was talking about, yeah, so the word church is always talking about local church. Almost always, majority of the time in the New Testament, it talks about local church, right? So if a son belongs to a family, that family on the earth, the visible manifestation of the family, you can find it at local churches. You go to a church, this is 
the family of God, but it's also, we'll get into that later, right? So a son of God belongs to a family. This is why evangelical Christians, they've also embraced sonship to a certain degree. Most evangelicalism, most Christians in, in the West, they've embraced sonship to the degree that they're willing to call each other brother and sister. Why? Because we're all, we're all children of God. We're all sons of God. We can call each other brother and sister. Right? Son of God belongs to a family. Number three, every house, every family, every local house, every local church has a leader. Every house has a leader. What do we usually call the spiritual leader of a house? Pastor, right? So in our Christian culture today, the most common term that's used is pastor. The reason, the reason why we use that so much is because as a, as a product of the Reformation, we don't like the word bishop because it means so many different things to so many people. Although bishop is, is just overseer. And the bishop could be overseer of a local house or a regional place. And we don't like um, other terms, like um, other terms. Anyway, I can't get into that. Anyway, so there's some other terms. So we, we're comfortable. Everybody's comfortable with pastor. Why? Because it has that nice tone. Because pastor means shepherd. You know, you imagine Jesus carrying sheep, that painting. And you imagine your pastor carrying you like a little, like a little lamb. So everyone's comfortable with pastor, right? So... Every local house has a leader. Normally, we call them a pastor. Number four, this is where I'm going to get more specific. Some, sp- some spiritual leaders are gifted and called to be a spiritual father. Some. So that's the key word there. Some spiritual leaders are gifted and called to be a spiritual father. You've got to have both, the gifting and the calling. You can't have one or the other. You got to have both. If you have both, God's called you to be a spiritual father. Some. Not, what am I trying to say? I'm saying not every pastor is a spiritual father is what I'm trying to say. So I've wrestled with this. I've examined what I see in the churches. I've talked to my pastor friends. We have pastors here at New Philly. We have a core value called father the fatherless. We want all the small group leaders essentially to function as a father and be a father and pour into the lives of their, of their disciples and the small group leaders and small group members as a father. We want them to father the fatherless. But what I'm trying to say is the way we are narrowly, narrowly defining what it means to be a spiritual father, I'm saying today not every pastor is called to be a spiritual father. Let's deal with that. Let's put that out there and clarify now, this is New Philly. Now, when Pastor Benjamin comes, he's going to probably listen to his message, and we're going to hash it out, we're going to unpack it, and we'll talk about, you know, what he's seen and stuff. But this is New Philly right here. I believe not every pastor is a spiritual father. To adopt the paradigm of fatherhood and sonship and automatically call your local pastor papa will be a big mistake. Why? Because if that pastor doesn't have the gifting and calling to be a spiritual father... You're just setting yourself up for mass disappointment. That person doesn't have the ability to do that. And then if you realize that and you get disillusioned, the meaning of spiritual father will become less and less to you. Let's say you're at a local Korean church 
The church hires an English ministry pastor. He comes and everyone loves him. He's such a darling. He's so professional and politically correct. He's just everything. He plays the guitar. He preaches. He leads prayer. He's amazing. Beautiful guy, too. Has a full head of hair, everything. Real tall, looking good, whatever, right? Everybody loves him. And you're like, you know what? In your mind, you think every pastor is a spiritual father. I'm at this local church. That means this guy is my father. So you start calling him Papa. And they're oh, he's like, oh, isn't that cute? He doesn't even know what you're talking about. But he's oh, that's cute. Oh, this is endearing. I guess I am the father of this house. So call me Papa. Call me Papa. And you have that Papa. Two years later, he's gone. He moves on. He wasn't planning to stay at the church. For him, it was just a career move. Build up his resume. He's moved on to another bigger church. So you get another pastor come in. And so you're just a little bit wounded. You're like, I gave all my heart to that last beautiful pastor. And now we have a short, balding, <laughs> ugly pastor who says politically incorrect things. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about somebody else. I don't know what y'all had in mind. That's not me. That's not the way I see myself. And then, and then you go, well, in my thinking, in my belief system, every local pastor is a father, is a spiritual father. So let me call this one Papa. You call him Papa. Oh, Papa. Oh, Papa. And the guy's, and the guy's like, yeah, all right. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me a hug. Okay. I'm your Papa. This guy stays a little longer, five years. At the end of the five years, he says, peace out. I'm going to go and uh, become, I'm going to go back to business. Just the ministry is just too hard for me and my family. So we're going to go into business. See ya. And just like, wait, wait, wait. I thought, I thought you're my spiritual father. Can, can I continue to relate to you as my spiritual father? Because I don't want to go on to a third pastor here, a third father here. I mean, can I just continue to relate to guys? I'm like, get off me. I'm going into business. Let me go. Where'd you get these father, sonship? Where'd you get these teachings? I didn't teach that. Get off me. I'm going into business. Bye. I'm telling you right now, you're going to have a real, that's a big mistake if you keep doing that. Because I don't think that's the way that, that God has designed it, at least in my own personal opinion. Here's the thing, right? You can't go to a seminary and be a spiritual father. Wake up. You can't volunteer to be a spiritual father. The only way you can be a spiritual father, you must be gifted and called. And if you think you are gifted and called, you shouldn't be the only one that thinks that you're gifted and called to be a spiritual father. Other people should come and confirm it again and again and again and again. You know, before I even adopted this for myself... I had so many men and women of God come through this church. They would privately sit me down and say, the Lord is telling me to tell you that you're going to begin to function as a father to many, like an Abraham. You're going to be a father of multitudes. And I'm like, okay, all right. That's a cool metaphor. Thank you. You know, I remember Sarah Yang came in Niagara conference. She had me stand up in front of everybody. She says, I see you with two hats. Pastor Christian, I see you with two hats. You have a general's hat because you're leading the army of God. And I was like, yes, right. I'm a general. Watch out. Devil, I'm punching your mouth. And then she said, I also see you with a father's hat. And I was like, well, what's that about? 
I like general. I don't have to be that general if I'm a general. I see you with a father's hat. I see you growing and being a spiritual father to many. I should prophesy that. That was again and again and again. I'm telling you, the Lord dug up the ground of my heart to even receive that for myself. If you feel you're called and gifted to be a spiritual father, you shouldn't be the only one that thinks that. It should be confirmed again and again and again. And the hand of God and the favor of God should open up to you a ministry of that kind of, of, that kind of magnitude. You know what happens? Some people, they think they're a spiritual father. They think they're called to be a spiritual father. But they don't, they're not. They're not. They just got selfish ambition. They go to a church. They have some gifting, so they attract people to themselves. And then they can't submit. They can't submit. Why? Because I, I'm called. I'm called to be a spiritual father. So what do they do? They end up picking up people and they leave and they start their own little church. You know, in my own experience, my personal experience the last 10 years, many of those churches that start like that, they don't last two years. It folds, dissolves, or it breaks up again. Such is the way of the Lord. God has a very specific way in which he releases people from another ministry's covering. Anyway, that's not what I'm trying to teach here. I'm trying to just say, not every pastor is a spiritual father. You got to be called and gifted and you better be sure. So a pastor stewards the vision of a local church. A spiritual father stewards the vision for a movement. A regional or global movement. Examples of historic spiritual fathers, in my opinion. Doesn't have to be yours, my opinion. Martin Luther. This guy had impact across geographic boundaries. John Calvin wrote the Institutes of the Christian Religion, by which, by the way, you have benefited greatly, whether you think you're a Calvinist or not. You should give respect to John Calvin. He's not what these haters paint him as. He was a pastor. He was an expat, much like you. Did you know that? He ran away from France because there's all kinds of crazy things that are coming up in France. In fact, if he stayed in France, he would have gotten killed. Because French people went crazy. French people got all cultic. Telling you right now, man, French Catholics, man, there, there's some crazy things in their history that they've done. Anyway, he, he was an exile. He, he, got, he was an expat living in Europe, living in uh, Geneva for a good long time. He was a pastor. And it was out of that pastoral experience that he realized, man, these people... They need a systematic exposition of what they believe. We're just starting to dig into the word of God. They just got a copy of the Bible in their language. We need to unpack this for them. So he wrote the Institutes of Christian Religion. And it just, it just got copied all over Europe. All over Europe. Uh, Amy Semple McPherson. A female spiritual father. You know who, who she, the movement that she, uh, she gave leadership to? Four Square Church, one of the most largest and influential Pentecostal churches in America, mostly based in California. You got uh, John Wesley. Hey, he was a spiritual father. I didn't agree with a lot of stuff John Wesley taught, but let me tell you something right now, man. That man, he, he had an ability and a gifting. 
to impact masses of people. Father, masses of people. I need, I need 10 more minutes. All right. 15. So give me 15. All right. Uh, their gifting, these men, were, it was so strong, it continues to impact us today. They continue to father us down through these ages today. So modern day, I believe, uh, people that kind of function as fathers over entire regions and global. Uh, people like Rick Warren. People like Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll's gifted. You ever see this guy preach? He preaches way longer than I do. <laughs> and he's more offensive than me. Actually, he's offensive in a different way. He's gifted. And he's planting churches all over America right now. Why? Because he, he, whether he uses these terms sonship and fatherhood or not, He's fathering just, you know, you know, at, at, if you go to a Mars Hill service with Mark Driscoll, under Mark Driscoll, you go to one of his satellite campuses, most, on most weeks, I believe this is what I've been told, on most weeks, you watch the sermon through a video. Why? Because Mark Driscoll is that gifted. They're like, man, let's, I mean, you know, other people are gifted too. They can preach too in, in, the, in the church. But you know what? Mark Driscoll is like the father of this movement. Just, we got to listen to him every week. So they put him up on that video every single week, no matter where they are. Albuquerque, New Mexico. Is Albuquerque, New Mexico? It is, right? Yeah, hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> Albuquerque and, and uh, they're all over California now, all over Washington State. Everyone watches him on video. Why? Because he's the father of that movement. Piper, John Piper, I think. You know, he's a, he's, he's a spiritual father of a, of, a, of a huge revival in the, in the reform movement, bringing forth really the richness of Jonathan Edwards, John Calvin, and, and disseminating that among the youth. There's a very loyal following in America for John Piper. Why? Because he's fathering all these young people. Well, that's why they do, they do radio shows. Why do they do radio shows? It's not just to make money. It's they believe that this teaching is so important, it's changing lives, and it's to go out to everybody. And for some people, they listen to that radio show more than they do their own local pastor. Why? Because when it comes down to it, they're not getting fathered by their local pastor because that local pastor doesn't even have to give them a calling to be a spiritual father. They're getting fathered by John Piper. Let's be real. Randy Clark, Bill Johnson, the list goes on. There are a lot of modern-day examples, what I think is, is, is essentially a spiritual father. And the fathering is primarily done through preaching and teaching. I'll tell you something right now. A pastor cannot do some of the things that a spiritual father can do. Only a spiritual father can do. Here are some things. I'm going to go through a real short list. A spiritual father has the ability to gather, to impart, to mobilize, to set order and government, to judge, to reform, build, bring revelation, lay foundation, initiate, build bridges, establish, pioneer, legislate, execute, defend, oversee, war, convert, train, ordain, and to father. If you look at a New Testament example of a spiritual father, we have the best amount of evidence for the Apostle Paul. You look at Apostle Paul's ministry, this is, these are all the things that he was gifted to do. Not every local pastor, I believe, is a spiritual father. A spiritual father is not just a set man over a local house, but a spiritual father, man, he fathers nations. God said to Abraham, you will be the father of a multitude of nations. Nations, kings are going to come forth. From essentially, the Hebrew word there is like your reproductive organs. 
kings and nations are going to come forth from you. He said that to Abraham. Do you know that here in New Philly, what we're doing here, we're not just building up local churches? Let me tell you something right now. You know, our church, I believe God is really blessing and a lot of people are picking up on our podcast ministry. A lot of people are visiting and getting blessed. And what God is really doing is God is raising up a new Philly nation. You ever think of it like that? We are an ethnos. We are an ethnicity. In heaven, they don't, they don't emphasize the ethnicity of skin and geographic regions between the, the Shiite and the, and the, and the Sunnis. And, you know, that's, not, that's not heaven's obsessed with. The heaven's obsessed with the nations that come forth from appointed spiritual fathers on the earth. That's what heaven's obsessed with. And they, they're okay that the sons of one movement look different than another. It's supposed to be like that. Because God gives certain strengths to one movement that he doesn't to another. And it's okay. Heaven's not, heaven's not, they're not hung up on that. We're supposed to look different. Even Pastor Benjamin and I, we're so close. But Pastor Joseph, tell me now, is Living Hope different than New Philly? Heck to the yes. Heck a yes. Heck, is that, is that, is that a term? You could say, heck a no, heck a whack. Can you say heck a yes? All right, I'll stop that. Heck yes. Okay. Heck yes. Right? So every nation, I believe we are raising up a nation here at New Philly. A New Philly nation. Everybody say New Philly nation. Of mighty warriors, priests. Oh, it's awesome. And it's not limited to this geographic region. We're birthing sons all over the earth. And I believe that every spiritual leader, leader of a local church needs to be covered by a spiritual father. If you're a pastor and you realize you're not a spiritual father, you need to go get covered by a spiritual father. You know why? Because if you don't have that covering you might just commit adultery with that secretary. You might just go and teach things that are not in the word of God. Why? Because you don't have the gifting to comprehensively teach it. You look at John Calvin. He had a gifting to comprehensively teach the word of God. Maybe he didn't teach everything correctly, but he had a gifting to build up the body of Christ. A spiritual father has that gifting. A pastor doesn't. You acquire it through relationship with a spiritual father. So I would recommend every pastor come under the covering of a spiritual father. In fact, every spiritual father, especially young ones, like yours truly, also needs the covering of a more mature spiritual father. Why? It's just for the, for the sake of accountability. And a person who handles that much authority, they should be shepherded and covered too. They shouldn't just answer to nobody. They don't just answer to themselves. They answer to God through a spiritual father that's appointed over them. And I believe a spiritual father can only be fathered by a spiritual father. I can't get past, I can't get fathered by just some pastor with a lot of people in their church. I believe I can only be, I can only be fathered by another spiritual father. Everybody with me? You don't have to like what I'm teaching. I don't care. All right, this is, this is, this is good, man. This is years of me wrestling with this. And the covering 
for whether it's a pastor or a spiritual father, it should last a good long while. What happens when they die? Okay, I could talk about that in another message. All right, well, I'll talk very specifically about I'll put it on the website, all right? What happens when, you know, when a spiritual father passes away, okay? I hope, hopefully, you know, Pastor Benjamin and I will, you know, we'll live to a long, good, long age. And then we make a trip, mission trip out to Indonesia or something or to, or to, or to Afghanistan. And then we get shot and we die. Both of us together just hugging each other. Hey, I'm telling you right now, man, when you're 90, 90, whatever, 92, and you go out like that, man, that's awesome. I don't want to die on some bed like, <laughs> come children. I'd be like, you know, some Taliban be like, do you believe in Christ? We're going to chop your head off. I believe in Christ. Do it. Jesus? Come on. Now, I'm not talking about when I'm like 50. I don't want it to happen when I'm like 40 or 50, you know. But, you know, toward the end, of, that's how Paul went out. That's how Paul went out. He got the glorious death. He got martyred. But, you know, he didn't get martyred when he was 40 and 50. Stop, stop being all scared, all y'all. All y'all like, I don't want to join a full-time ministry. I'm going to get martyred like Paul. Paul got martyred when he was old. Like, if he didn't get martyred, he would have gotten a heart attack or some arthritis would have killed him a couple months later. Man, I would rather get martyred than die of some, you know, osteoporosis or something stupid like that. That's whack. It's whack. Or like you trip, you trip and you fall and you die. Oh, I fall in. I can't get up. Lord, this is a disgrace. How can you let me go out like this? That's, I'm not down with that. Lord, Lord, you heard me, right? Go out. Go out right. All right. So, yeah, uh, every pastor getting a, a covering, that is actually taught in seminaries these days. Do you know that? Seminaries are produce, producing right now what's called, they're developing what's called spiritual formation curriculums. Where they realize that everyone's getting academically uh, strengthened, academically educated. But their spiritual lives aren't always in, in alignment. So they're trying to develop this thing called spiritual formation. Pretty much just talking about like quiet times and having a healthy marriage and things like that, right? Where well, a central part of spiritual formation curriculums are getting a mentor in your life. I mean, even seminaries are catching on to this. It wasn't there before, but now it is. It's, it's essential. Why? It's not optional. Why? Because people are starting to realize, man, all these pastors, they keep falling into all these scandals. Or they keep doing all these foolish things and, and Koreans are keep, keep leading church splits. Why are they doing this? It's because nobody's speaking into their life with authority. Nobody's keep holding them accountable. Just as we need account- accountability for finances and charitable giving, we need accountability for spiritual leadership. By the way, that was my fourth point. My fourth point was some spiritual leaders are gifted and called to be a spiritual father. Some. Number five. This is my last point. Sonship with God is more fully experienced by being in a committed sonship with a spiritual father. So in my first point, I said sonship with God is direct to God, right? Everybody, you enjoy that. But you want to go into the depths of your sonship with God? 
you experience it fully when you come into a committed relationship with an earthly spiritual father. Whether you like it or not, earthly leadership figures play a huge role in your formation of who God is. For example, why are so many young people in the church who have bad relationships with their fathers or absent relationships with their fathers, when they come into the house of God, their biggest issue is in seeing God as a father? Why do they have trouble with that? Whether they like it or not, whether they know all the doctrines or not, whether they know all the right answers or not, they still struggle. Why? Because biological fathers, they were designed to reveal an aspect of God's character. And when they fail to do that, it affects a person's ability to see God in that way. It should inspire people to really see God as father, but a lot of times it can pollute it. Just as your biological father has effects on your view of God, I'm telling you right now. Your, your spiritual father will really affect your sonship with God. That's why it's so important to have spiritual fathers at this time take their place. And for people to establish permanent relationship, permanent committed relationships with their spiritual father. Inheritance, by the way, is only released through a spiritual father on earth. Even in the Old Testament. Inheritances came through other people. It didn't fall out of the sky, did it? Even when Elijah was being taken up to heaven, how did Elisha get that anointing, that mantle? He got it from another man, his spiritual father. Why do you think he, when the, the chariots of fire appear and they take Elijah up into the sky, Elisha's like, my father, my father. Why is he saying that? That's his spiritual father. Unfortunately, Elisha, that nugget, uh, Elisha, that man of God, he did not raise up a son that will inherit what he had. I mean, can you imagine someone, a son of Elisha, how powerful that would have been if he did double the miracles? And the next guy is like, give me double what you got? That would have been crazy. But we don't get that. You know why? You know who, who embodies that? It's Christ. When Christ comes... He really shows us what sonship is all about. If you really study the Bible, right? The way the Old Testament talks about how Elijah got taken up and then Elisha said, my father, my father, and he gets the mantle. That's exactly what happens when Jesus ascends into heaven. As Jesus ascends, he says, I'm going to give you my mantle. I'm going to give you my anointing. It's going to come in 50 days. You all need to stay put. And when it comes, you will be my witnesses. Man, sonship, man, I'm telling you right now, those, two, two, those original disciples and the 12 apostles, they didn't get their inheritance straight out the sky. They got it through another man. That man's name was Jesus. And today, God is still giving inheritances to his people through people. And I'm telling you right now, your friend can't give you inheritance. Your mama cannot give you inheritance. Your local pastor who is not a spiritual father cannot give you your inheritance. Only a spiritual father can give you your inheritance. So that's number five. Sonship with God is more fully experienced by being in a committed sonship with a spiritual father. So what does this practically look like? This practically looks like I am not 
going to integrate sonship any longer into our membership and leadership, I'm going to keep it separate. Why? Why am I not going to integrate it? Okay. The reason why I don't want to integrate sonship into our membership and leadership is because, number one, I've noticed that some people aren't sons of this house. They don't see Aaron and I as a spiritual mother and father. No matter how hard they try, it ain't working. And some of y'all, you are, and you need to try harder. <laughs> but there are some people, they, they're not. Why? Because they already, they already have a spiritual father. And, and it's someone else. Or they may not be ready. And it takes more time for them to open up their hearts to that kind of permanent lifelong commitment. By the way, today I'm defining it very narrowly. Sonship is not meant to be temporary. Amen? Temporary sonship is just heartbreak, abandonment, and orphan. It's just an orphan spirit. You're just going to get stuck in an orphan spirit. You got to think of sonship as permanent. It's a lifelong commitment. You talk about 10-year commitments? Let me talk about lifelong commitment. We take it to a whole other level right now. Some of y'all come to me, you're like, oh, yeah, I make a 10-year commitment. The Lord's spoken to me about 10-year commitment. All right, has the Lord talking to you about a lifelong commitment? I know I got mistakes. I know the Lord is still working on me. But are you willing to relate to me and commit to me in that kind of way? You, do you, are you willing to see me as a spiritual father for life? Are you willing? And the person's not ready for it. What am I going to do? You can't be a member then. You can't be a leader. Away from here. Get out and find your spiritual father. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Why? One, that's not gracious. And number two, I think there are going to be plenty of people that do come to New Philly that are going to be members and they may even serve as leaders, but they already have a spiritual father somewhere else or God moves them on to somewhere else where they find a permanent spiritual father. And you know what? If there are people like that, I'm not going to stop them from joining membership and leadership. That's why I need to keep it separate. I'm not going to integrate it any longer. So I'm not going to use that language in our membership class. I'm pretty much saying that you are a member of this local church. But I'm not going to be like, oh, by the way, you are also, when you sign that membership covenant, you're making a lifelong commitment to be a son of spirit. Pastor Christian and Aaron. <laughs> Just want to throw that in there. Make sure you knew what you were signing. Now, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. I want people to feel free to make that commitment when they are ready. And I want it to be a meaningful commitment that lasts. Now, let's be real. For some people in this room, you feel like your spiritual father or, or your spiritual father is another pastor of another church. Or you feel like uh, your spiritual father is the leader of a, another ministry, Campus Crusade, University, Navigator, something like that. But even when I'm, when I'm talking to Mary Co., uh, her um, father and grandmother, and I hear the history of UBF, now, essentially, what UBF gone through, they were, their spiritual sonship and fatherhood in UBF, even though they didn't even use that lang- language probably. That's essentially what happens. So I don't want people who know they're a son to someone else pretending they're a son here when they don't, they don't, they don't feel like I'm their father. And I want people to feel free to join the membership and leadership of the church as a son of God rather than just being a son of PCMPE. Okay, you can just join membership and leadership as a son of God. If God later on shows you that you are to make that permanent commitment, you make that commitment. 
but no longer it's going to be integrated. We're going to separate it and set it apart because I want it to be a meaningful sonship that's permanent for life. You know why all these issues came up? It's because I preached that message, sons from afar. And you know what I found? I found some people who've never visited New Philly, when they're emailing me, they're making a lifelong commitment. They're making a commitment that's bigger than a 10-year commitment. And usually people who haven't heard enough of my sermons, they don't know what they're doing. So I'll be like, man, you don't know what you're doing. I don't say that. I say, thank you, we welcome, and we embrace you. But I recommend you might want to listen to some more sermons because you might not like some of the stuff I preach. So go listen to more. But there, man, there are other people, man, they never knew, visited New Philly. They listened to the last four years of all of our sermons, including Myung-Wa, and, and they all like, oh, yeah, you know, and, and, and Rachel Boyle, and, and I, heard, I heard the Boyles are twins, and, and Matt Walker, I could hear him laughing in the podcast. And they like, it's, it's like, what? You never visited, but it's like you've been here the whole time. They're making a bigger commitment than people who come out every Sunday. So that's why I realized, man, you know what? We need, to, we need to clarify sonship not only for people who are trying to do it from afar, but we need to do sonship, define it here in the house, locally. What does local sonship with New Philly look like? And by the way, I've noticed people who are in true sonship with New Philly, we have a certain DNA. No matter what your personality or temperament, choleric, phlegmatic, sanguine, whatever. Melancholy, sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to say whatever to melancholies. There's a certain DNA. No matter what your personality type, there's a certain DNA we carry. Number one, prayer. These are some, a few examples. Prayer. When we are a church that prays. We pray. Remember that MC Hammer song? We got to pray just to make it today. We got to pray, pray, pray. Pray. Remember that? Come on. Come on, PJ. Back me up. When, when were you born? Uh, 85. 85? Oh, man. You young buck. Oh, man. Oh, man. You had the hammer pants? I never bought them hammer pants. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, people pray. That's why we have swim. We have Friday fire. We have joint prayer. We encourage you to nurture your private prayer life. We have fasting. Man, people fasting. Man, Emmaus students that just came three weeks ago, I don't like fasting. I'm like, slow down. What you fasting about? You just got here. But they are so like, they they, they just been grafted in. They just feel like such a, uh, a sense of belonging. They're just like, man, I don't know why. It must be because... Your ceiling is my floor. So all that hard labor you had to go through to learn about fasting, I'm getting it the moment I come in. Prayer. Every son of New Philly, man, I noticed that, that our dealing is prayer. We got prayer in there. We got that warrior militant mindset. That militant, like, we're militant. <laughs> when, we, when we worship, people get scared. It looks like we're going to fight every, every Sunday. It looks like we're about to fight somebody. Why? I mean, it's part of the vision of the house to raise up an army of mighty warriors. But it's not just the formality. Man, it's really part of our DNA. The little, little cute little Asian girls that don't look like they look harmless. And then you give them a mic and they're just like preaching with fire. They're militant. It's part of our DNA. Fire. That fire. 
Fire is so such a part of our DNA. And if you've been here long enough, I pray for you, you get that impartation of fire. Oh, sorry, sarcastic. <laughs> sarcastic. Man, fire, the fire has been all over Cassie for like the last seven months. She has been burning. On Friday fires, man, you should see her, man. We need to give her a helmet. We really need to get you a helmet. Because she shakes by the power of God so much, she comes out of her chair. If you've never seen anything like that, all right, and you want to stay at New Philly, you need to get used to that. Supernatural is natural around here. So when that happens, we don't go, oh, what is that? What is that? I'm scared. We go, yeah! <laughs> More, Lord! More! Joy bomb! Joy bomb! You know? It's fire, man. Fire. The house is a house of fire. A lot of, a lot of prophetic people have prophesied over me. That Christian, you are a man of fire. You're a minister of fire. There's fire all over you. And one man, I kid you not, one prophetic minister, you know what they said? That's why you have so little hair on your head. You know, you see that? You see how I'm balding right here? They said it's because there's fire there all the time. I see it right now. There's fire burning. I'm glad y'all liked it. Cause I did not laugh when he said that. So that's cute. Real cute. But yeah, I mean, a new Philly son, man, they, 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 their DNA, it's in their DNA to have that fire, to carry that fire of God and to release it to the nations. Another, man, let me just throw in another one. Humor. It's part of our DNA here. It's humor. Like, if you don't have a sense of humor, you, you're not going to like it here in New Philly. We have all kinds of humor. We have offensive humor. We have sarcastic humor. We have black humor. We got Korean humor. We got three culture kids. Well, nobody understands their humor, but they're, they're still part of the house. Larry, I always laugh at your jokes. Inside. <laughs> No, but uh, we're house. We got You got as part of our DNA. If you're a New Philly son, you laugh. You know how to have a sense of humor. You don't get all uptight and like, hey, that's not right. That's not biblical. What are you doing? You know, like, hey, hey, ease up. You know, and and I believe this is a beautiful aspect of God's character. Where do you think our sense of humor comes from? It comes from God. God is a joyful God. The Bible says his enemies gather around. And he's just up in, the, up in heaven, heaven laughing. He thinks it's funny. It's like little ants gathering around his people, the Jews, you know. And he's just like, ha, ha, ha. God's got a sense of humor. Man, I'm tell you, if you read the story of Elijah, right? And, and let me tell you something right now, man. You ever read that? It's a sick story. And you, you have to understand, man, God's got a crazy sense of humor sometimes. Elijah, man, he, he really, uh, Elisha, I'm sorry, because he got it from Elijah. Because even Elijah, when he confronted the prophets of Baal, he was like, he, he had a sense of humor about it. He's like, <laughs> maybe y'all should bark louder. Y'all need to shout louder. Maybe your gods are sleeping. Wake them up. Wake them up. <laughs> He's by himself. <laughs> Nobody's with him. 
And then later, Alicia, right? Alicia, man. Some children, right? He was, he was walking down the mountain. Some children came out and they were like, ah, look at that bald, I just see, baldy, baldy, bald, 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 bald. And Alicia was like, bears come out. And these bears came out of nowhere. And then mauled all the children to death. Y'all didn't know that. It's in the Bible, right? Man, that's kind of whack, but, uh, you can't really like process that. You'd be like, oh no, I can't believe in a God like this anymore. Unless you kind of have a sense of humor about it. It's a little sick. I understand, man. Anyway, God has a sense of humor. And man, we, we really enjoy that aspect of God here at New Philly. Anyway, man, maybe I shouldn't mention that bear story, man. That's, that's jacked all y'all up right now. Oh, it's poor children. They shouldn't have called him Baldy. He's an anointed man of God. Don't touch not the Lord's anointed. Anyway, um, I'm sorry about that. Uh, so, yeah, if you're in sonship with Pastor Aaron and myself, a certain DNA is going to come forth. And it's because we carry certain graces from the Lord. And I think it's, it's a beautiful house he's raising up here. I believe we were like a well-watered garden. No matter what season our church is in, I noticed. We're like a well-watered garden. You go in there and there's always flowers in bloom, fruit coming forth. All the leaves are always green. What a beautiful house God is raising up here. And so um, I'm going to put out publicly what, it, how, what steps every person is going to need to take. Now, some of y'all kind of, you don't really need to take these steps, but then just to uh, make sure that we identify who are making these lifelong commitments and who aren't, we're going to have everyone step through this. But some of the steps that are required to join sonship, right? If you're locally attending here in Korea, in order to join sonship, you have to be a member of the church. If you're living geographically abroad, you don't have to be a member of the church. But you have to be a member of a local church. So I'm requiring that. I can't overlook that. I can't have you just having church on your own with a couple other friends listening to our podcast. That's not church. That's, that's, that's just rebellion. I mean, in some sense, if it's permanent, it should be temporary. But if that turns into a permanent thing, I think I don't, I don't like that. I, I, okay, I don't, let me take that back. It's not rebellion. It's not rebellion, but I personally don't like it. That's all. All right? Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to require every person who wants to make this lifelong commitment, you have to have at least listened to 25 of my sermons and five of Pastor Aaron's sermons. It's not that her sermons are not as important. It's just that she preaches less than I do, right? And so 25 of mine, five of hers, about 30 sermons. That's about a year's worth of teaching that we usually put out. I preach about 30 to 45 times a year, okay? So you need to have about a year's worth of sermons. And if you're in agreement with it and you feel like this is my spiritual papa, then you make that lifelong commitment as permanent. Will there be ways for you to break that relationship? Yes, but it will be very hard. <laughs> I'm going to make it real hard. No, I'm kidding. There will be a gracious way. I'll, I'll set out gracious steps that you can take to sever the relationship. If you really feel like you want to you move on or you feel like you found your spiritual father elsewhere, we can sever that relationship. We'll do it graciously. But I'm saying it's a lifelong. So everybody in here, everybody in here. <clears throat> I know some of y'all you already see it yourself in that way. 
How many of you in here, you've already listened to at least 25 of my sermons, five of Aaron's sermons? You've at least done that, right? It's the majority of the house. Right? So for Emmaus students, what I noticed is a lot of Emmaus students, they get mega blessed while they're here in Korea. And then they go back home and they really struggle because they can't find a, a ministry quite like New Philly. Or they do, but then there's all these other things they don't like about it. And they don't trust. They don't feel safety. So they really struggle. And then they email us and say, I want to be a son from afar. I want to be in sonship with New Philly permanently in the long term. Why does that happen? It's because it's not until they go back home that they listen to all those sermons. And then they realize just how much they value and appreciate New Philly. And then they realize they, they want that to be part of their life permanently. Right? So for Emmaus students, you may have not listened to 25 and 5 sermons. It's okay. It's okay. You can be a son of God, and we can call you brother and sister. You can even call Pastor Aaron and my, I, Papa, Mama, whatever you want to call us. You can just call us Pastor, PC, whatever, right? But it will be, it will be only after we know that you've listened to 25 and 5 that we will formally accept you. Now, now we will informally accept people is what I'm saying. But formally, like, you know, like later on, if somebody's like, I don't, you're not my spiritual father anymore, right? If it was informal, I'll be like, okay, I'm sorry. What, you sure you feel that way? Okay. All right. Goodbye. I mean, like, yeah, you know, like it's because it was informal. But when it's formal, uh, peace out. I don't think you're my spiritual father. I found a Mexican man over in California. I think he's my spiritual father. I'm going to be like, wait, hold on, hold on. This is a formal commitment you made. Let's talk. What you going through? And the real reason is because, you know, I said something that they didn't like and, or I hurt them. Or I, I, they were going for a high five and then I was like, peace. I, I didn't see the high five. It wasn't my fault. But, you know, somehow that created this strife in your heart and you don't want to be a spiritual son. Hey, let's talk that out. Right? So, anyway, that's what's going to go out. As sons, sons from afar issue comes up, we're going to do sonship, the local sonship here. What, we're going to really establish that as a permanent lifelong commitment. So for all the 10 years, I hope you are also making a commitment to permanent sonship. You don't have to, but I hope you do. Because you'll be here for 10 years. <laughs> another thing is, if you are in sonship already to another spiritual father, I'm more than willing to graciously just say, all right, come just be a member and leader. And you can, your sonship is with another spiritual father. That's fine. Right? But the amount of authority that I will entrust to you in this local house will be dependent upon the agreement and closeness that I have with your spiritual father. Do you hear what I'm saying? So if, you, if your spiritual father is a leader of a movement that I'm like, whoa, I got some reservations about that, then you will just be mopping the floor here for the next 10 years. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. But if it's like Pastor Benjamin, who's part of already our family and lineage, right? There's going to be more access. I'm going to give you more authority. That makes sense? Everything crystal clear now, right? I'm going to write it out in a document. It's going to be on the website. It's going to go out, and you guys can take your steps. Sorry, Matt. I think he's held up that overtime sign about five times already. But I needed just everything to go out. So I feel the peace release right now. Let's close in prayer. You know, right now, I just feel like some of the Emmaus students that are coming off this retreat, 
you feel like, man, that was the longest sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> Why is this pastor going off about this whole sonship thing? But you know what I sense from the Lord right now? A vast majority of you who just started coming out to Emmaus, you're actually a son of this house. And whether you're in Korea for another semester or whether you go home after this semester, God, right now, he's establishing a permanent relationship that's going to bless you for a lifetime. A permanent relationship that's going to fill you with a rich inheritance where you're not off feeling like an orphan and feeling like you don't belong anywhere. But you know you have a certain DNA because you belong to a certain movement. A movement that is not just limited to Korea, but a movement that is global in perspective. You know, as the spiritual father of this house, I believe that God has called me to father a global movement. I've received those prophecies. They scare me a little bit. But I just receive them. Because we're hitting a tipping point soon. Where there's just going to be thousands and thousands that are going to come. And they're going to be like, I've been listening to your teaching. I've been listening to your wife's teaching. And I want this relationship with you. For those who have come new... Get keyboard, Susie. For those who have come new in the last two months, just for people who come in the last two months, I'm gonna give you an opportunity right now. If you feel like you're already there, you haven't listened to 25 sermons from me, but you feel like you're already there. You're like, this is a house I like. This is a family that I can vibe with, that I can grow with, whether I'm living in Korea or whether I'm living abroad. This is a family that I want a place in for the rest of my life. And you want sonship with New Philly, and you want it. You want it now. And you want to make that informal commitment before God. Lord, this is what I want for my life. You come new in the last two months. I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up. We're going to pray for you. Because God's already been moving in your heart. Do it if God's already been moving in your heart. We want sonship to be permanent.